Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Thursday, the 28th of September with me, Bernadette and Derko. As usual, we're going to be bringing you up to speed for the latest events in the financial markets. And my colleague Alexander Peterson joins us today to do that. And then uh, with oil very much front and centre of the headlines, I'm delighted to say that Norbert Rooker, head of Macro and Next Generation Research, is here to shed some light on the energy stories this week. And finally, Nicolas Jordan joins us from the CIO office to update us on what's got the attention of our investment committee just now. But first, let's crack on with what's been moving markets overnight with Alex. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bernadette. So, Alex, uh, oil extended its upswing to $95 a barrel. Perhaps you could start by filling us in there. Yes, indeed. Benchmark U.S. oil prices rose to $95 a barrel for the first time in more than a year after inventories in the nation's main stockpile fell to critical levels. West Texas Intermediate rose 3.6 on Wednesday, its biggest gain since early May, but I'm sure Norbert will fill you in on more details later on in the show. So uh, moving across to the US, I've read that a last minute US government shutdown deal is unlikely. Um, What can you tell us about that? A late agreement to avert a US government shutdown beginning this weekend is indeed unlikely. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is trying to use a possible U.S. government shutdown to win concessions from President Joe Biden, such as a resumption of construction on Donald Trump's border wall, tougher new asylum and immigration policy, no new aid to Ukraine and deeper cuts into federal spending. But are they not afraid of a government shutdown? No, Biden and other Democrats aren't afraid of a shutdown this time around because it doesn't carry the risk of immediate financial turmoil that an unprecedented U.S. default would have had. Okay, so uh, looking at the equity markets in the US, how did they perform yesterday? In the US, the S&P 500 was unchanged on Wednesday, the Nasdaq 100 was slightly up, and the Dow Jones closed slightly in the red. In US Treasury trading yesterday, the 10-year US Treasury ended Wednesday with a yield of 4.59%. And I see there were some banking headlines, uh, specifically the US Department of Justice has stepped up its probe into the Credit Suisse and UBS uh, merger. What can you tell us about this? The U.S. Department of Justice has expanded its investigation into creditors and UBS for alleged compliance violations that allowed Russian clients to evade sanctions. What began as a series of subpoenas has expanded into a full-scale investigation. The DOJ has notified UBS U.S.-based lawyers of Credit Suisse alleged sanctions violations since its acquisition in June. In addition, the DOJ has also started looking into UBS for sanctions violations. And has there been a reaction to this? The market has reacted negatively, putting pressure on UBS, which resulted in the stock falling almost 3% yesterday. Okay, so we'll have to watch that going forwards. Now, uh, moving on to Asian stock markets. How are they looking this morning? The Asia-Pacific markets are trading mostly weaker. The Chinese CSI 300 trades Thursday morning in the minus. The Japanese Nikkei 225 trades with a minus of 1.8%, the strongest in the negative. And India's Nifty 50 trades unchanged, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng is down around 1%. Okay, and lastly, Alex, uh, what's coming up today? What should investors be looking out for specifically? Looking ahead to the rest of the day, investors will be looking out for a GDP data release by the United States. In addition to this, Fed's Jerome Powell will host a town hall with their educators later in the day. Also today, Germany will release data on their inflation and Mexico's central bank will hold a meeting this afternoon. And that's pretty much all for today's markets wrap up. Thank you, Bernadette. Back to you. Thanks very much for the update, Alex. So now, as I promised at the top of the show, we've got Norbert here to talk us through oil and other energy stories. Good morning, Norbert. Good morning. 
Um, Alex mentioned it already. Oil is dominating the headlines and obviously nourishing inflation fears. What are the dynamics behind prices scratching the US $100 per barrel mark? If you look back over the past weeks, past month, it's really the same set of drivers. So first of all, we look at the very upbeat market mood. And this is really kind of the mirror image of what we had on the observe. Uh, the different image to what we had early summer where the mood was quite downbeat with some bearishness. Now we have full bullishness in the market. And if you have such a sharp swing in sentiment, this really influences prices. That's definitely what we've been observing as kind of the key driver for this rally in oil prices. Um, the fundamental story is also somewhat unchanged. It's the perceived uh, fears about the uh, supply tightness. So I emphasize on the perceived because um, if you really look at supplies globally, yes, they're tightening somewhat, but the tightening trend is definitely not as pronounced. And I think if you look at the headlines, um, especially today or, the, or yesterday, it pops up that some of the US storage is down at critical levels, but it's really not the overall oil storage in the United States that's down at critical levels there. We're actually still looking at quite comfortable supplies because the supplies of oil products, such as gasoline, diesel, and so on, are in fact increasing. So overall, we think that oil prices uh, at current levels are quite rich. They're somewhat starting to be detached from the fundamentals. So that's why we stick to a cautious view. But that said, the near-term momentum is clearly positive, and thus it wouldn't be surprised that in the if in the very near term, oil prices in fact touch and exceed this uh, infamous triple-digit mark of US dollars a hundred a barrel. Okay, I guess we just have to wait and see there then. Um, the International Energy Agency recently updated their landmark report, Net Zero Roadmap, shedding light on the status quo and dynamics of the energy transition. What are the highlights there, Norbert? Yeah, this is really a, quite a big in-depth report and it's it's excellent read uh, to get a status quo on the dynamics of the energy transition. Um, overall, the highlights is that to some extent, it's comforting that the energy sector overall, the energy theme, seems to be roughly on track, in fact, to reach a net zero. And if you look at the comparison to the last report we just done uh, two years ago, it's quite interesting to see how the dynamics, in fact, are shaping up. And three elements stick out. First, uh, clean energy. We have seen a, quite a massive acceleration in adoption rates of clean energy globally. In fact, there have been such substantial investments into clean energy manufacturing, thus the production of solar panels, that the current capacities already seem to be sufficient to, in fact, reach a net zero longer term. The second story that sticks out is uh, electric mobility. Also there, a pickup in the dynamics with the increased offering that uh, is available in the car markets globally in North America and Europe, and especially in China. And there, again, some exceeding of early expectations in terms of how much market share plug-in cars take uh, of the overall car market. And maybe the third element sticks out. There's always much discussions about hydrogen. There, in fact, the expectations of hydrogen's role have been somewhat lowered. And it rather seems like hydrogen will take kind of a supporting actor role in certain market niches, but uh, it's unlikely to become such a mass market as the other two stories. Okay, and, and how does this compare with our views? It very much aligns with, with our views. We believe that the current decade is really the decade of um, the energy transition, especially of the electrification of road transport. Uh, clean energy is already basically a mass market where we see much less growth rates going forward, while 
uh, electric cars as said to become the mass market um, this decade. And also for hydrogen, we definitely believe that although there's much talk about it, although there seems to be waste the waste subsidy support, hydrogen is unlikely to play a leading role, but rather really a supporting actor role in the overall energy transition story in specific niches such as fertilizers, such as shipping, and, and so on. The reason simply is that it's a derivative of clean energy, which means it also always has a structural cost disadvantage. But I think overall, the key view is that the energy transition is really in full swing and that it's a trend that is shaping up to be productivity enhancing basically it's deflationary uh, it's something that adds to global wealth uh, going forward it's something that adds to growth uh, going forward so we are kind of quite convinced in this view but for investors there's also something else to watch out for we had this boom over the past years uh, we had massive investments and usually after a boom that falls follows a certain period of consolidation of cooling and that's exactly what we're seeing uh, there are clearly signs of that happening in the clean energy space there's overcapacities there's margin pressure there's price pressure so some of the fundamental structural tailings that we see in fact are overshadowed by short-term cyclical fundamental headwinds um, this underpins our neutral view on clean energy and um, also basically is all mirrored in the rather lackluster performance of that theme that we have seen. To complete, uh, we have still a constructive view on anything electric mobility related, and we also have a neutral view on anything hydrogen related. That's it from the energy transition. Thank you so much for the update, Norbert. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about. Um, and now it's time for me to turn to Nicola Jordan from the CIO office. Good morning, Nicola. Good morning, Bernadette. So, Nicola, um, interest rates have been rising steadily in the last couple of weeks. Is this a development that's uh, worrying you? Yeah, I mean, the yield on 10-year U.S. Treasuries has risen from close to 4% to more than 4.5% this month, a move that has been amplified by the Fed's latest comments and especially the FOMC's upward revision of interest rate projections. Accordingly, the S&P 500 is down significantly and U.S. Treasuries have suffered as well in September. But while many see the rise in rates as a sign of imminent risk, we actually prefer to see it as a sign of renewed strength of Western economies. Quite frankly, zero or even negative interest rates are much more worrying than rates rising towards the long-term historical average. The rise indicates that the Japanification of Western democratic economies has been halted and that the return on capital in the West is back. We think that the markets and the economy can function with interest rates at 5% and that they can do so in a stable manner. If rates were to fall quickly, on the other hand, it would be a sign that growth was stalling and that the risks of a recession were increasing rapidly. We therefore see the glass half full rather than half empty. Okay, uh, but there still seems to be a great amount of uncertainty around the future path of inflation and interest rates. So what are your thoughts there? Our opinion on this inflation has not changed, actually, and we still think that it will continue, albeit at a more moderate pace than in the last 12 months. As far as rates are concerned, the FOMC's dot plot does not really help us, and the committee itself actually seems to admit to this. For example, as far as the implied federal funds target rate for the year-end 2025 is concerned, the lowest dot is at 2.625% and the highest dot is at 5.625%. In short, the committee collectively does not know 
and the dispersion of the members' rate forecasts reflects the post-pandemic world of heightened inflation uncertainty. In the long run, we expect average inflation to be between 3% and 4%, with more volatility around this new average. At 3% plus, inflation can be seen as mitigating the burden of public debt without excessively hurting real household incomes. Okay, uh, let's quickly talk about the shorter term then. Uh, September's been quite brutal for investors. What are you expecting for the rest of the year? Yeah, to make it short, we believe that the healthy market correction we are witnessing at the moment should end by mid-October at the latest. And then we expect a new phase of market upside until the end of the year. That's it from my side. Back to you, Bernadette. Thank you very much, Nicola, for your insights today and for joining us. Well, that's it for today's podcasts. Um, I'd just like to thank my guests for contributing and, of course, you for listening. Please join us again tomorrow when Helen Freer will be here with our experts to guide you through what's moving currency markets, amongst other topics. Meanwhile, good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.